So we're on our first ever episode of the Positive Pedagogy for Sport Coaching podcast. And there's my first mistake. Our guest today is Mark Egner, who is a field hockey coach at a field hockey college coach here in the United States, but originally from Ireland. And he'll introduce himself in a, in a second. So remember, the podcast is about exploring the concept of positive pedagogy and its features, which talk a little bit about designing learning experiences using questioning and inquiry. So Mark should do a good job on that. So hello, Mark. How are we doing? All right, great today. Apart from my, well, I won't say what happened to me this morning. It's negative, so we'll keep it positive. Anyway, I'm, I've been smiling ever since, so that's good. So you're on, you're, um, if you could just kick off by giving us your, well, we play blind date at the start. So blind date is what's your name and where do you come from? And it comes from an old British TV show that Silla Black used to host. I don't know if you ever saw it. but they That were. was fantastic. I used to love that show. We used to watch <laughs> it with Annie's. Uh, my name is Mark Egner and I'm originally from Cork in Ireland, but I live in Williamsburg in Virginia in America now. And what is your current role? So I currently occupy three or four different roles. So my main day-to-day role is on the associate head coach for field hockey at the College of William & Mary, which is a renaming of the first assistant title. I'm also the assistant coach and manager for the U.S. Under-17s national team. I work as a coach educator for USA Field Hockey. And then in the few minutes of spare time I have around all that, I am a uh, master's student at the University of Stirling in Scotland. Excellent. Very varied background. So we're going to start by giving our listeners the opportunity to learn a little bit about you. So I'm going to ask you these questions and they're just dichotomous questions. (laughs) So you have to say which one you prefer. So the first one is dog or cat? Cat. Netflix or YouTube? Ooh, Netflix. Phone call or text? Text. Yeah, that, I figured you would say that. Toast oh, or <laughs> <laughs> toast or eggs? Toast. Cardio or weights? Cardio. Facebook or Twitter? Twitter. Ice cream, corn or snow corn? Ice cream cone. Yeah, I would go for that one too. Mobile games or console games? Console games. And while you're walking, if you're ever walking, do you listen to music or podcasts? When I'm walking, music. When I'm driving, podcasts. Perfect. And then last one, iOS or Android? iOS. I'm fully on Team Apple. (laughs) So we... I was asking Mark before we started how we first met each other and we met at a USA field hockey event about or coaches forum about four, four, maybe five years ago. And I told him I want something funny where we can give people an anecdote. So I said, Oh, I remember something and Mark got really worried. So (laughs) I think I did a presentation and Mark came up to me and said, Oh, you'll have to come out to Virginia and do a presentation for this club that I work with work with were you coaching at a club at the time no it was at my college was what i was thinking and then uh, it never happened so there you go anyway i'm just kidding 
Just, I thought you were going to come at me about my um, late night texts <laughs> looking for help with my masters. <laughs> well, we won't go there. But anyway. <laughs> anyway, we'll get on with our show, but I love the kind of conversation at the start to get us going before we get into the heavy stuff. So how did you get into coaching? So it's a bit of a strange journey. So I took up playing hockey when I was about four. And then when I was 16, um, within my club, it was just kind of expected that I'd start to give back. So when I was about 16, I got into coaching kind of very much just at the weekends, helping with the little kids. And then I went off to college and I studied um, primary school teaching. So while I was there, I did a little bit of coaching on the side to make money. And then as I got to about 2021, 20, I just was uh, tricked into helping out with one of the women's teams at our club. Someone said, you'll do it for a few weeks. And that few weeks turned into me coaching the team for the season. And I ended up staying, kind of working and coaching pretty much since then. Um, it got to the stage where I used to tell people I taught to fund my coaching habit. Um, so I'd be a teacher in the day and I'd have a, in the back of my car, I'd have a little suitcase of hockey balls and cones and I'd be waiting for the end of the school day. And as soon as the bell rang and I finished co correcting the kids' work, I'd be out the door and off to coach a school team or a club team somewhere in and around Ireland. And then the opportunity to move to the U.S. came six years ago. And when that opportunity came to be to work full time and to be with just one team, it really kind of I had to grab it and run with it. So ended up taking big step, jumping across the Atlantic and going from the environments I was used to, to working in a new space and I've kind of been here ever since. So you have an education background? Yeah, I was a primary school teacher for the duration of my college experience was four years of studying primary school teaching. And then I think I worked as a teacher for three or four years after that. Nice. This is a good segue because the next one asks you a little bit about your philosophy of coaching. And I know it's a slippery term. So I guess the question is, has that been shaped a little bit by your experiences as a teacher, for example? I think a hundred percent. So I was only talking to someone about this the other day that when I was studying teaching, we were focused very heavily on um, learner centered, learner centered methodologies and putting our students at the center of everything we were doing. So when I moved into coaching, that was still at the center of everything I did, this idea that we were gonna put the athlete at the center of what we were doing. So my philosophy is, it's really only four words, and it, for me, it makes sense for it to be represented in a picture, but everything that we do should be enriching. So I have an arrow that goes upwards, and it just says enriching, and um, there are three bullet points. So there's create an enriching environment, um, provide enriching activities, which should provide an enriching experience. So if we do those three things, the athletes should leave that coaching experience or every moment of interaction with the coach somewhat better than they entered it, um, having had somewhat of an enriching moment in that time. And when did this picture and these three bullet points come in your coaching journey quite early on or more recently? Well, so I'm still only 30, so I'm still very early in the process of being a coach, but that has become firmer and firmer 
in the last three or four years. Um, but that picture and that, that philosophy statement has been something I really try to stick to for the last three or four years for sure. Nice. So you you currently work with a college team mm-hmm. and have worked with some teams in the past too. So what have you done to establish a culture around your team and how that relates to, I know you work with a head coach or their philosophy and then the philosophy of you and the other coaches in the group. So when I first got to William & Mary, my head coach said to me that we didn't want to be a team that was just about hockey. We wanted this to be about something more than just playing the game. So after that first season, um, we kind of looked at it and said, well, hey, look, we're still only really interacting with the girls on the hockey pitch or doing hockey-related activities. So we set out on kind of a journey to build a culture that was about more than, than that. So the first thing we did was we identified how we wanted to be known um, in the community, in the classroom, uh, on game day at practice, and what kind of behaviors we wanted to exhibit there. And then from there, we created our five, we call them our core covenants, which are to take responsibility, respect the opportunity, inspire others, be honest, and expect results. And then our aim is to try to live those out every day. So then what we do within our environment is once a week, at least, we'll meet as a team and we'll talk about some aspect of who we are. So that might be some sort of a skill um, that we want to have. We want to be a little bit more trusting. We want to be a little bit more confident. And we'll look at ways that we can go about developing those. Um, One of the big things that we look at with our athletes, especially as they come and join the program, um, the two kind of main that we hit with a freshman when they arrive is a fear of failure and uh, this idea that we're going to compete with our teammates, not compete against our teammates. So we'll put a lot of time in small group conversation about the working on our inner coach and how we speak to ourselves when we make a mistake. So I have a video that I use with them now of um, a goal being scored in an international hockey match and I freeze it and I go, imagine you're this guy and you've just made this mistake, write down what you'd say to yourself in that moment. And then we talk about, hey, if that was a tweet or if, that, if there was a scoreboard, you know, live tweeting your brain, are those the kind of tweets you'd want your grandmother to read? And they go, oh, no, absolutely not. And then we go, okay, now we show the video again and we highlight someone else. And we say, now imagine you're this guy. What would you be saying to the, to the person that made the mistake? And then they write that down. And then we generally ask them, like, well, how long have you known that person sitting next to you that you're going to speak to that way? And they're like, oh, you know, two years, whatever. We're like, how long have you known yourself? Uh, 18 years, 20 years. Well, why are you so much nicer to them than you are to yourself? And trying to reframe and be a little bit more positive in our self-talk so that we can be in a situation where we're going to be able to um, react more positively to negative moments in a game. And then the other piece is just focusing on that when we are at practice or when we're in training sessions, that we want them to be comfortable making mistakes and that that's great. And we celebrate those and we talk regularly about like, we're here to get better. If we're not making mistakes, we're not going to get better. But then that if I'm playing in a practice session and so are you, I'm going to celebrate your successes because ultimately you getting better helps me to get better. And at the end of the day, the coaches are going to make whatever decision they're going to make. 
it doesn't really, it's not your fault if you get to play or if I don't. Mm. I, I saw a thing on, I think it was LinkedIn or somewhere, a picture and it, it was captioned. It was someone who just lost and it said in the caption was, I, I didn't lose. I just learned something. So that was quite, I thought it was quite a good picture, which encapsulates a little bit about what you were saying. But I also have got this thing now where I, even when I talk to parents and things like that in youth sport, we, I say to them, well, if you're not, if you're not making mistakes, then you're not learning. And again, I teach it in an academic program and that's been a little bit of a phrase I've mentioned with giving some feedback to some coaches where they're worried that if your practice isn't perfect and everyone's not being successful all the time, it's kind of, that's a good practice when we know that, yeah, that might be good for seeming performance, but it's not really very good for learning. And those are two different things. Yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about practice. Yep. and practice design so one of the features of positive pedagogy is design and manipulation of the learning environment and or experience the learning experience so talk to us a little bit about that of what some things you and the coaches there try and do or when you're working with the usa field hockey teams etc so i guess there's a couple of key things that we try to do um we have two versions of practice in my environment we have team training and we have small group training so our small group training sessions would be very focused on um, technical skill improvement, but we would still be trying to avoid repetition and just doing the same thing over and over again. So for example, last week um, I had a session with two of our athletes and we were working on the skill of how to hit a ball. So we played a game um, where we just played within the circle that surrounds the goal in field hockey. And we said, okay, you've got to hit the ball and it's got to hit the backboard. And then once it comes back out of the goal, the other person has two touches, one to control and one to hit to get the ball back in. And whoever lets the ball stop, or if the ball goes outside the circle, you're going to get a letter. And we played it with just cat rather than playing with a longer word so that there would be, the game would be finished a little quicker. And what we did was before we started, we got the girls to write down what are the three key technical focuses that they were going to have. And then they played, and then we just said, right, there you go. You have your focuses. How did you do with those? Give yourself a tick if you think you got it. Don't if you didn't. How would you go about adding that? Or and We just facilitated a learning space. So they were, I'm a big believer in Kolb's learning model. So within that activity, they had an opportunity to experiment with what they were doing. Then they had a bit of time afterwards to reflect on it. And from that reflection, then they were able to make conclusions. Hey, when I did this with my hands, the ball didn't go quite where I wanted it to go. So the next time, so when they move into that planning moment, next time I'm going to try this with my hands. And they played and again experimented and had that concrete experience. And then they had that opportunity to keep working through that cycle of learning. And the really interesting thing was, first of all, I explained that learning model to them so they knew why we were doing what we were doing explain the activity we were going to do, and they moved through that. And at, for 45 minutes, as we played that game and variants of it, they were laughing, they were smiling, and they're two athletes who struggled to be able to execute a, a hit of a hockey ball on the move with their hands together with something that resembles correct or perceived correct technical form. And for the last two team training sessions we've had, they've been burying the ball bottom corner because they've had those times to experiment and play around with it. 
So that's what it looks like in a small group setting. And that would have been very individualized to those two athletes who had, we have expressed that they need to develop that skill through what we've noticed over the past fall season. And then within our team environment, when we have everybody all together, we try to create um, spaces or times within a session where they're going to be engaged in gameplay. So what they're going to do is going to look like the game and that the, the game itself is going to pose a problem. The two weeks ago we did, or last week we did a session where um, we played five on five and we played for five minutes and the team that was on, like that was defending the goal, they were set a specific way that they had to defend. So the other team had five minutes to play against that. And then they had a two minute quarter time talk where they had a, a notebook or they had a, a coaching board. And on that, we put a framework for their conversation. We built our own model for that, which was just, we call it the what model. So the W is what are they doing to us? H is how is that affecting us? A is a way around this would be to, and then T is the plan moving forward is this. So we had these five minute games, the same problem presented for the two periods of five minutes, and then that they solved the problem in between. And what was really interesting was by the time we got to the third or fourth iteration where the, the defense was doing something else, they were starting to solve the problem within that first five minutes. One of them was shouting out how the other team was defending, and then they started shouting out how they were going to attack that and how they were going to pull that apart. So we try to create moments like that. Now, I won't say that, you know, if you were to come and watch a two-hour training session, that it would all look like that. Yeah. But there would definitely be times that do. Um, so with, within that, what, what was my question? I was going to ask, um, there's obviously some use of questioning and use of inquiry, which are the other couple of features of positive pedagogy. So talk to us a little bit about your your questions and how they may be more open, closed, and whether they're pre-planned or whether you go with the flow and that kind of thing. So how does that work? Again, with, I guess, the biggest adage of coaching, you know, it depends. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> depending on what we're doing, um, the questions might be, we would probably approach a session with a specific intent in terms of what we're hoping that the athletes will learn in the session. So if we're doing a session where we're focusing on how we defend in the circle, we would be doing some sort of an activity that involves playing in the circle and we would, you know, let them play for a little bit and then we'd come in and we'd talk about it. And the first question might be, um, I might have highlighted a key moment that happened in the activity and said, Steve, remember that? We're going to talk about that one in a minute. And then as we come in, I go, do you remember that moment? And then they would explain the moment to the team. And then we would talk about with the defender, we might say, well, what was something you noticed in what the attacker was doing? And they would say, oh, I saw that their head went down when they had the ball because the ball was bouncing and they had to watch the ball. And we'd say, well, and what did that, what, what did that make you like, how did you use that information? And they'd say, Oh, well, I knew I could go and put more pressure on. And then we'd say, why, well, why, why were you able to do that? And why, and what did that allow you to do? And what, what, what happened next? And then sometimes what will happen when we ask a relatively broad question is I'll say something like, um, how did it feel when she came at you like that? And they'd say, Oh, you know, it didn't feel good. And 
the recept or the person answering the question might kind of almost answer with a closed answer that there's only, oh, I've said that, now I'm good. They're not going to ask me anything else. So we would pretty much always follow up with a, mm. a why or a, even just a tell me more about that. Yeah. So that they, they get to explore that a little bit further. Um, but the intent with a questioning moment would be to have some sort of almost a map of where you want this conversation to go, but it has to be very much through their language and through their exploration of the feeling of the moment rather than, Hey, you misreceived the ball. What did like, how did it feel when you misreceived the ball? It felt bad. Exactly. That's terrible. We don't want to misreceive the ball might be, Hey, when that ball came to you, you had some trouble receiving it. Yeah. What, what caused that? Oh, well, my hands weren't right. Well, what would you change in how you, how you're holding your stick or what you're doing with your body to be able to, to have a, a reception that doesn't feel that way. And then we can delve a little deeper into making sure that the understanding is there of how to fix and how to correct and how to uh, best prepare for that moment. The next time it might be presented in a game. A couple of prompt questions for me would be, is this something you're, it sounds like you're doing this pretty much all the time now. Is this something that you've been doing ever since you started coaching and, or is it something that you just do now because you've been through various education processes or you're drawing back on your experiences as a physical, um, not as a, as an educator, not a physical educator, sorry. Um, I think, if I was to wind the clock back and go back to when I started coaching, you would have seen almost a copy and paste approach, uh, approach to coaching where whatever I did at my own training session during the week, I would roll that out with the kids with no understanding of why I was going to do it. And I really hope that I never get to go back and watch myself as a 16 year old. Cause those were dark coaching days as I think about them now. <laughs> but I think as I have, gained more confidence in my experiences as a coach. I've become more comfortable with using questioning. Um, when I initially started down a coach education pathway back in Ireland, that would have been 19 or 20 when I, maybe, maybe 21 when I did my level two back home. And questioning would definitely have been a piece of it. And I know that there was another, phys or another primary school teacher on the course with me that was in college with me. And the two of us felt a little bit more comfortable than others with questioning. He was actually even more comfortable than I was because he was out in the workforce working as a teacher. Mm. But I think as I got that kind of underpinning in questioning through teaching, I definitely had the more comfort with that ability. But when the importance of questioning was highlighted through recent changes in coach education over here, I guess I became more comfortable then again going, no, what I believe in is going to work and it is underpinned by good research and by, you know, perceived best practice. This is an, an efficient way. Cause I think at times when you're coaching, even if you have a belief as to how it should go, you sometimes get swayed by the prevailing um, experience you get, you know, you work with a different coach and they are very different in their approach, but it's working for them to an extent they're winning games. They're having success on the field you go, I won't go about it my way because that way is working for them and I can't really be trying to do things a little bit differently. But um, it's definitely something I've become a lot more comfortable with now. I know that might be your way, but this is the way I'm going to do things. Mm -hmm. What have been some of the 
players' responses to this kind of approach that you're describing? Um, I would say that we have had a variety of responses. <laughs> I remember vividly a preseason or two ago, we were doing a, a particular activity where someone was receiving a ball under pressure and we were exploring ways to get out of that pressure. And I kept asking questions. And eventually one of the one of the athletes just went, just tell us what the answer is. Because they had given me the responses that they had come up with. And we weren't going to have more time to play around in the activity to come up with more ideas. And they were just getting frustrated. They, they perceived that there was a best response. And I kind of followed up with her afterwards. And we talked about this idea of active learning and that it was more about them them being the ones saying and doing and being involved in the learning than just listening because it was going to mean that they'd retain it more later on. And that was kind of the, the only blow up moment we've had in four years of this, I'd say. Um, in terms of athlete response, uh, as a collective, the team has been, uh, it's been night and day in terms of where we are as a program over the last couple of years, which I don't, by any means think is purely down to one particular aspect of coaching or yeah. anything, but the athletes are becoming more comfortable moving into high performance spaces. They are put in moments where they are solving problems, whether on the field or when we're doing video. Um, so the depth of understanding that w is within our group is definitely in a higher place now. So what would be some suggestions for somebody who, potentially might be saying, well, I want to implement a little bit more of this, but I'm starting off a bit of a blank slate. Are there, are there some bits of advice that you could give for getting going with doing this type of thing? Easing yourself into it and then growing? I think the first thing would be to look at, you know, um, it, it's like exercise, you know, a little bit is better than none. And the more comfortable you get with your little bit you're doing, you're going to be more comfortable doing more. Um, so, you know, maybe just chisel out 10 minutes, 20 minutes in a session and go, I'm going to really try it in this piece. But if that's a drastic step from where you currently are, I would prepare your athletes <laughs> so that they're not just bewildered by mm -hmm. on coach who is usually the one with all the answers looks confounded by this exercise that we keep doing. So make sure that they're aware of what's happening. Um, other things you could do is just be really creative in your use of resources and say, hey, as a coach, I'm going to kind of withdraw in this moment. I want to see how you guys go about solving this and almost give them the questions on a card that they have to facilitate those conversations themselves. Um, I think that it's within the use of resources and kind of where we position ourselves as coach, either as the fountain of all wisdom or as the asker of questions, or even just on the periphery of a moment that can really be telling to the athletes as to whose voice is important. And one of the biggest um, lessons I guess I've learned in the last year or two from this has been to be really conscious of what you do and don't say and how you do and don't say those things. So, one thing that I keep catching myself on is if I ask a question, echoing it. So say I ask you, hey, um, who scored a great goal today? And you might say, oh, Brian scored a great goal. Brian scored a great goal. Did you hear that, everybody? Because without knowing it, what I'm saying is that it's still my voice and my opinion is the one that matters. Whereas 
if I don't think everyone heard, I could say, hey, um, Brian, did you hear what Steve said about you there? No, Steve, would you mind telling him again so he can hear you? Mm -hmm. So so now we're really empowering the athletes and making it clear that this is their voice, this is their moment, this is their learning that's happening there rather than, oh, here's just another creative way for coach to be the loudest one in the room. Yeah, and there's some people that I can't remember, reframing or something. So sometimes someone does or may not understand what someone has said and you might say, well, Brian was just talking about how he went about scoring that goal the other day. Brian, do you mind sharing that again or something like that? So you can, or there might be two or three responses that come in and you want to, as the coach, just reorientate the conversation. So you might have to do that. So Brian said this, Joanna said this. So where are we at with that? What are we going to do using that that knowledge from Brian etc so there is a way of doing that with where you maybe need to facilitate that rather than like you say doing it to create a power differential between you and the players to reinforce your role as the coach um you started to allude to it but we'll move down to some challenges have there been any other challenges that you have foreseen or in your coach education work some challenges you've foreseen with again players onboarding or with taking a bit of a different approach to your coaching or other coaches being receptive to these ideas i think the biggest challenge i think that i've noticed is almost in the provision of feedback and in terms of what the expectation of the role of the coach is, um, one of my friends uses a great question, are you a problem setter or a problem solver? And I think at times as coaches, we view our job as to kind of help the, help the athlete solve the problem. And this idea that we're removing us as a, we're at times going to remove the coach as a, as a solution center um, can be quite challenging for coaches. Um, and I keep coming back to how people learn is more important than how we coach. So if we can, if it's been proven that these things work and that this is an effective way for people to learn, we're doing them a disservice. If we go about doing this in a way that doesn't work, you know, if we, one of my biggest bugbears is if I was to go and watch a session and someone is doing say a shooting drill and someone comes through and they hit the ball once and they get instant feedback from a coach. Then the next time they come through now, it's been two two or three minutes since they were last through. Next time they hit the ball, they're trying to apply the most recent piece of feedback. They hit the ball and something else happens and now they get another piece of feedback. Ultimately in that moment, I can't imagine what, like I'm glad I don't play anymore because I can't imagine what that feels like. No, okay. There's no time for the information to bed in and for the learning to take root. So at times, I think the biggest challenge is that as a coach, we're there because we want to help someone get better. And we think, hey, I only have them for an hour or I only have them for two hours. I've got to pack that full of learning. And that learning looks like me doing a lot of talking and them doing a lot of listening. That ultimately that's maybe not going to be the most effective way for them to learn in that moment. But I think it comes from a place of wanting to help rather than wanting to hinder. Yeah. So reframing the picture of what coaching is, is a big challenge, I think. Some people have also kind of argued, oh, it takes a lot of time out of my session. We're having 
we've got pitch time and it's expensive and I don't want to waste it through athletes chatting for hours on end and solving these yeah. problems. So how would, how would you kind of do that so you don't take out loads of time out of your practice? And that's something I was actually just thinking about today um, at our next session with the, with one of the teams I work with, we're going to be in a very condensed space. So we won't have enough space on the, on the surface for all 15 or 20 athletes that are going to be there. I was thinking, well, if we play five minute games with five against five, and then we have a two minute break time between games so that one group gets a rest that we could have. Okay. Well, the group that's out, they have five minutes there where they can be working on solving a problem and they can, if we have two coaches, one coach can be facilitating a five minute conversation there while 10 athletes are playing. Mm -hmm. And then we have that two minute rest time because these this, this group have been out for five minutes. Mm -hmm. The other group gets two minutes to talk about what problems they have and they go in and play against one of the teams that was playing. And now the group that's coming out is getting five minutes. So in terms of coach and athlete interaction, you have five athletes athletes to one coach which means they're all going to get an option opportunity to listen and to speak and to be heard and to in, like investigate problem solving in that space but we're going to make really effective use of the actual surface we have to play on and the amount of pitch space we have another thing we'll do is be very um structured in terms of uh flow and content or um transition time where again if you have a couple of coaches you might say, right, we have this activity. We're going to play for this much time. One coach leads that debrief moment, and the other coach is setting the pitch up for what comes next. And they only have as long as the coach setting up has, like takes. So if it takes three minutes to set up the pitch, we only have three minutes for that conversation. So being really firm on your time boundaries to make that conversation as effective as possible. And then if you have moments where you have an athlete standing out to the side as a sub, engaging them in conversation in the, those moments. So they have two or three minutes of, oh, yeah, no, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, I might give that a go when I go back in. And then they go in. And then the person that comes out, oh, hey, keep an eye on them now. I gave them a little challenge. See if you can figure out what the challenge is. So now that athlete is out of the activity but still involved in the learning that's happening. Um, that would be, those would be some of the ways that I could think of. <laughs> yeah. So what are based on the conversation and where you're at right now, what are some of your plans for the future with you in terms of coaching? Obviously you've just started this new role with USA field hockey with the under 17s. Is there any other plans you have for the future? Um, I think for right now, my plan is just to really get my feet wet and where I am, you know, spend a little bit more time with these younger international athletes and really work on developing. And we've been doing a really exciting job there of creating an, a learning environment in that space. So um, getting the opportunity to keep that going and keep those athletes enjoying being in that space and learning and growing is going to be exciting. And then within my personal space, we've had a really successful season, but trying to build on that and continue to take our program to the next level. And um, I guess uh, but that's where I'm kind of at right now. There's some things I'm thinking about trying to do as more of a, in the space of coach education to offer um, support to more coaches that are coming through, but that's kind of in the works. 
Yeah, it's fine. You don't have to divulge anything on, on in this public forum. Don't worry. I'm just kidding. <laughs> if people want to follow up, I think personally I'm involved in field hockey too, and that's how we know each other. I think field hockey has been one of those sports that really embraced some of the contemporary coaching methodologies in terms of how we design practice, how we use inquiry, that kind of thing. And I think it's not just in our country, uh, it, here in the US, but in the UK, Australia, and there've been some main protagonists in terms of Danny Kerry, Rick Charlesworth, these kinds of things. And I think they're all really great role models for coaches out there. If you're not reading stuff by these these folks or podcasts that these people have done, those are really good people to get on board with. So where can people contact you if they want to get a little bit more insight and information into what you're doing and that kind of thing? Well, I guess social media is the easiest way. Um, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at eggs underscore 11, but that's eggs with a Z, um, which is a play on the old legs 11 uh, from bingo back in the day. I see what you but, did there. Um, for the most part, I'm usually pretty happy to talk. I spent 45 minutes on the phone to a PE teacher from Oklahoma last week talking about how she's trying to put TJFU into their curriculum there a little bit better. And honestly, I came off, off the phone with it. That was just a joy of a conversation. And I'm really excited to see where she's able to go with the use of tag games to, to grow spatial awareness and stuff. Mm -hmm. So don't be afraid to reach out, I would say. And T TGFU is teaching games for understanding and that's kind of a wedded to this idea of positive pedagogy because it's one of these game-based approaches which use some of the similar features to positive pedagogy. So Mark, we really appreciate your time being our inaugural guest. There's a lot of pressure on you here, <laughs> but you've definitely delivered and I'm so glad that we've been able to have a field hockey coach also on our first podcast since that's a big part of my identity and things like that so have a great rest of the day and you thank you for your time not at all